It's inside the Gamecocks. J.C. Sherbert here with you along with Tony Morrell, the GCI. Uh, back here with you on a Wednesday. The Gamecocks have a game this weekend, and certainly it's always better when there's a game. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to our bi-week episode and all the folks that are finding this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, the Stitcher app, wherever you want to find it, you can find our podcast uh, for sure. Um, Got to start with some news items uh, from the week. And, um, Tony, uh, I don't know. I thought this was disappointing, but I know from what I've heard and from what we've been reading, uh, maybe this guy wasn't scheduled to play anytime soon. But still, I I thought he had a lot of potential, even as a high school recruit. So, for the Gamecocks, I thought it was – a situation where it was tough to see him go. But Derek po- Derek Boykins, uh, a freshman from uh, Concord, North Carolina, I- enters the transfer portal. Um, I don't know. Something about it just kind of – I didn't think that – most of the time these guys transfer and you think, well, it's okay. Uh, something about this one kind of made me think a little bit that th- this wasn't a good thing. Yeah, you know, I checked with a couple of sources just to see uh, – you know what the specific reason was behind him deciding to leave so soon and and I talked to two different people and neither one of them had a, a specific answer as to why he was leaving um, you know I agree with you he's a player who had a lot of potential I, I like some of the things I saw from him in the spring game um, and that's really you know he hasn't really done much this year so that was really the last time I saw him in a, in a game type scenario and and uh, you know he did some good things where he flashed and showed some good speed and so a willingness to, to stick his head in there. So uh, it was disappointing to see him leave. Um, you'd like to know a little bit more about why it, it happened. And, and, of course, where he ends up will also tell some of the story. You know, I've heard North Carolina may be a, a possibility, assuming their staff wants him. But, um, but unfortunately, I, I think this is something that, that not only Gamecock fans, but college football fans are going to have to get used to with the transfer portal uh, particularly if the NCAA continues to grant so many initial eligibility waivers and, and allows players to, to go to another program without sitting out. Um, you know, if a guy comes in, he's, he's not happy or not getting what he's looking for, then uh, I just think it's going to become more and more common for, for players to, to look for another opportunity somewhere else. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think sometimes too, though, you know, I've covered recruiting for a long time and college football for a long time. Every every year, and, and some of you folks out there would be shocked at some of the players uh, that have stuck it out and had great careers at South Carolina and elsewhere that, that you know, they get to campus and, and you know, the minute adversity strikes, they, 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 they think, oh, my God, I'd like to leave. Because, you know, playing college football is about adversity. I mean, you're going to face more adversity as a college player than – a high school player in terms of, uh, you know, just what you have to go through and how you have to manage things. A couple of things on Boykin specifically. Number one, he, he's a, he was slated to be a Mike linebacker. You have Ernest Jones, who's a sophomore at Mike. You have Rosendo Lewis behind him. You know, that may have been something when he looks to the future. You know, there's a lot of younger guys in front of him right now at his position. His brother is a major recruit as well and was not reportedly as high on South Carolina as Derek was. So maybe he ends up there or, or wherever his brother ends up going. Um, you know, and, and, and so those things are, or it may be something as simple as, you know, he's got a girlfriend who's going to college elsewhere and he wants to go follow her. I mean, those things happen too. We're not dealing with robots. We deal with, uh, 
human beings in this situation. I think it gets lost sometimes on that. So I think that, uh, you know, I, I do think it's a loss because I, I liked him. I, I think if he ends up at North Carolina, that's uh, that's going to be a, a – that's going to be tough. <laughs> uh, depending on how good he is. If he never plays, you know, who cares? But um, that would be tough because I think the Gamecocks and just about any other school that's recruiting in that state, is if Mac Brown keeps that thing afloat and continues to win some games and, you know, get mileage out of things like a one-point loss to the number one team in the country, you know, he, he, Tony, I think he can uh, be a big problem. Uh, for programs, and, and this is especially important for South Carolina that, that want to recruit that state. And, you know, guys are, if guys are transferring in there from South Carolina, I just, I just don't think that's a good look. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I don't think there's any question South Carolina is going to continue to run up against Mac Brown in North Carolina on the recruiting trail, especially in the 2021 class where the in-state um, class in, in South Carolina is is not deep at all. You know, they've only offered – one player right now and could be close to offering another soon, but uh, it's a very weak class in state in South Carolina, uh, whereas the state of North Carolina is loaded in 2021. So South Carolina is going to have to be able to go up there and have success in landing some difference makers and and getting their share from that state to supplement what they're not going to be able to sign from in-state. So, uh, you know, Will Muschamp and, and these coaches are going to have to to get used to competing against him and showing they can win their share of battles against Mac Brown, even in the state of North Carolina. Sure, and it just didn't it didn't the game this year didn't help by any stretch, and uh, them being good, you know, better than expected this year. I know they're two and three, just like the Gamecocks are, but that's better than I expected them to be. Um, that's not helping either. So I, I've always thought North Carolina, you know, that you, if you, when you consider it an in-state area. There's enough talent, you know, when you're talking about an in-state area. You know, it, it, when you combine both Carolinas, it's it's similar in size in, in terms of talent production to an Ohio or Georgia or Louisiana. Uh, just about any state outside of Texas and, and um, California and Florida. But, you know, you got to go get those guys. And, and when the school, uh, the flagship school from that state is taking players – you know, it, it really cuts into your ability to do things. So, you know, switching gears to recruiting, one state the Gamecocks have had a good run in, Tony's Tennessee. Uh, Reggie Grimes, and, and, and I think this is kind of interesting. You know, you, you get some reports from the Vols' uh, end of things. Oh, we don't know how interested Reggie Grimes, Tennessee really is in Reggie Grimes. And, oh, well, <laughs> you know. We don't know. Uh, we don't know where the true interest lies. And the next thing you know, Reggie Grimes sets up an official visit, and he takes it to Knoxville for the Georgia game. Had a good time. Um, seemed like he had some positive things to say. Also, seems like South Carolina continues to be the clear team to beat, um, even with, uh, I guess, the shot that the Vols took uh, in Knoxville uh, in terms of landing him. So. You know what a what a heck of a guy upside wise, and and a heck of a get out of a state that heck before Will Muschamp came to South Carolina, the Gamecocks. I always thought it was a waste of time to recruit up there. Yeah, I think you know you heard similar things about Joe Anderson for most of the recruiting process last year, where Tennessee acted like they didn't really have any interest in him, and then uh, in the end they did, uh, but it was too late for them to land him. And I think he could end up being a little bit of a linchpin for South Carolina from the state of Tennessee, because especially from that Nashville area, 
because so many of those players have grown up together and are good friends, and, and Grimes is good friends with, with Joe Anderson, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why Grimes has a lot of interest in South Carolina because of the experience Anderson has had so far and, and uh, you know, the, the quality of the coaching staff and just, you know, he, how comfortable Grimes and his father are around Will Muschamp and company. So um, I think landing him would be big, and I think Grimes could potentially help with, uh, you know, a guy like Keyshawn Lawrence in this class, but I think one or two of those guys could also help with the underclassmen. There's a lot of good players coming up in that area. Uh, who are, are either good friends with Grimes or coached by his father and or have been coached by his father. So um, it, it's an area that Bobby Bentley has, has worked very hard to, to build up uh, his credibility and, and has had success and I think is going to continue to have success up there the way things are set up right now. But Grimes, Anderson was a big piece of the puzzle, and I think Grimes is going to be an even bigger piece of the puzzle especially when you look at the buck position and how important it is to this, this defense and you have to get production from that spot. And I think Grimes is an excellent fit there as a guy who can play standing up as, as a linebacker, but also put his hand down and, and make things happen in the backfield as a pass rusher and, and against the run. So uh, he, he's definitely an important guy. Yeah. I don't know. You know, he says he's going to visit Florida state and Oklahoma. I think in, in some years, you know, I think that would be a concern with Florida State. Uh, you know, and I think Oklahoma certainly you can't argue with the success they've had. But like you mentioned, Tony, I, I do I do think there's the Anderson factor with Anderson and his father. And I do think there's the Grimes factor, and Grimes' father's very comfortable with Muschamp. Um, and although those two programs are, you know, Florida State's probably um, – they have one, two in a row. I think that comes to an end this weekend. But uh, – they're, they've slipped on the field. I don't think they have a very good coaching staff. Um, Oklahoma is one of the best programs in the country, obviously, and has a lot to sell. But I, I, I just I don't look at those two things as potential pitfalls uh, when it comes to South Carolina. I do think Bama, if they decided to offer him and go all in on him, would be a factor. But uh, I'm not too concerned about the Florida State and Oklahoma visits uh, as things stand today. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I tend to agree. You know, Oklahoma, as much success as they've had, uh, you know, so much of what they do is built on their offense. And I just don't know if I'm a defensive player, if, if going to the Big 12 is necessarily where I want to be uh, to build a, a, a potential professional career with the how little defense is played in that conference. I mean, that's not to say they don't produce some NFL guys on defense, but it just – it's it's a conference that's becoming more and more about offense, it seems like, with every passing year. And then, like you said, Florida State has a lot of, of question marks going forward. You know, how long will Willie Taggart be there? Uh, what kind of success can he have? And and just what kind of footing is the program on right now from a uh, current and future stability standpoint? So uh, I think South Carolina, if Grimes is making his decision today, it would be South Carolina – I think really the primary team to worry about, as you said, is if something changes on Alabama's end. If they, you know, watch his film and decide they want to go full speed on him and think he's the right fit, then I think that's probably where he'll go. I think that's where he's wanted to go for the majority of the process, but they have a, a great defensive line class committed to him already and, and just may not have a need for him. And that's not a shout at him as a player. It's just more of a, a compliment to Alabama and just what kind of a recruiting class they've put together. You mentioned Keyshawn Lawrence. Now, this guy, Tony, uh, I watch him on watch him on film. I, I think, 
He would be a breath of fresh air at the safety position for South Carolina. I think he's an outstanding athlete. Uh, I think he's a guy that uh, I, I was surprised he committed to Tennessee. I thought he was going to go to LSU or someplace like that. But um, he's kind of how you draw it up. And uh, I, I he's committed to the Vols. We know they've got problems. I mean, I just got finished recording a – the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast, and we spent like 10 minutes talking about how it was so shocking that, you know, we're sitting here talking about how Tennessee can stay in the game with Mississippi State. We're, we're, we're talking about – we're not talking about them winning. We're talking about how can they stay in the game with Mississippi State this weekend. So that kind of shows you how things have fallen. Jeremy Pruitt obviously recruits 187 defensive backs every cycle. It was just surprised me, in-state kid or not, that he committed to Tennessee. Now you start to hear about the Gamecocks trying to set up a visit. I think that's uh, that's big and exciting news. I think this is the type of guy they absolutely need to land uh, at defensive back. Um, so what are you hearing about the chances? I mean, I, I would think that given all the factors you cited with the relationships and things of that nature and the need at safety – uh, I think the Gamecocks could have a good chance as long as Tennessee doesn't get up off the mat and, you know, things continue to go relatively well with the Gamecocks this season. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the the key there is to get him to follow through on the official visit. You know, they're talking about bringing him in uh, next month for the, the, you know, second bye week of the year. And if they can get him in for the visit, and I think they have an excellent story to sell him. And as you mentioned, uh, certainly a need at safety. Uh, Will Muschamp has a, a, a tremendous history of, of coaching and developing safeties and putting them into the NFL. It's been a mystery as to why the safety position has not been better since he's been at South Carolina. Uh, but certainly getting a guy like Lawrence in the fold would, would give him exactly, uh, I think, the way you draw it up at safety. You know, prototypical size at 6'1 plus, 200 pounds, Excellent speed, anticipates plays well. He's physical, also makes plays against the pass and, and can, you know, uh, make things happen on interceptions when he gets the ball in his hands. So uh, he, he's he's everything you look for in a safety and, and would be a, a big pickup for South Carolina if they can pull it off. But I think, you know, the first big step is going into Knoxville and winning that football game uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks and then uh, getting him to follow through on the, the tentative visit in November and, and then taking it from there. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it, it, that should be something that could play a factor. You don't want Tennessee beating you this year. They're, they're this is the worst. I mean, there've been a lot of bad Tennessee teams. This is the worst one. I mean, I, I watched just about every play of their game against Georgia last week, and I, you know, that they made some plays here and there, but it, it, they just weren't going to stay in it. I mean, it, it just it it was just uh, it, it, it's sad. I feel bad for some of my Vols friends out there, but uh, certainly uh, if you're in the SEC East, it's a good thing that they're not <laughs> necessarily up uh, right now. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that and see how it happens. But Keyshawn Lawrence, I think, would be a big, big key. You know, Jaheim Bell, Jaheim Bell's an interesting story right now. He's the tight end from Valdosta. Was going to flip from Florida, but it wasn't a traditional flip. He decommitted. Gamecocks have felt good. I think they still feel good based on conversations with contacts this past week. He's been injured. Comes out with a big quote-unquote announcement. The, 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 the 
the announcement is he changed his Twitter uh, profile to an Auburn player and then announced a top three that didn't include Auburn in it, which I thought was interesting. Um, his uncle's on Twitter, assuming that is his uncle, you know, talking about how he's not going to make a decision yet and all this other stuff. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how the number – I think Jaheim Bell, Tony, is a heck of a player. Uh, I think that he can definitely play that split tight end role really well. He's just kind of just what South Carolina needs and looks for at that spot. Um, And, and, and I still think the Gamecocks have a pretty good shot. It, it's just, you know – I guess sometimes these days you have situations where guys sort of make non-news, <laughs> and maybe that was a non-news situation. But you know, I just I don't know. I've got a gut feeling about this that you know things may end up, you know, not maybe how we think. Uh, whether that's because of space, because of injury, you know, because he he waits too, because he becomes enamored with another school. Uh, I don't know. Then again, it could end up like uh, Jamie Robinson last year where the kid's been committed all along and everything's fine. What do you make of it? Yeah, I I mean, I think right now it's more likely to be a Jamie Robinson type scenario because I think, you know, South Carolina is where he's been planning to go. And I think he's been saying the right things to the coaching staff for quite a while now behind the scenes. He does remain a take for them, uh, even with the injury. Uh, and they've they've built him into their plan numbers in this class, and 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 I think are are you know going forward with the the thought that he will be a part of the class. Now, uh, I think also there's a question as to how much is Oklahoma pushing for him. You know, Florida State may be a little bit different, but I, I don't know. You know. He took the visit out there, but I don't know that he's a priority for them necessarily. Um, so you know, Bobby Bentley. Uh, is, is coaching the tight ends this year. He's done a really good job with them. You know, I know he was very disappointed when they, they lost Keel Pollard and, and, you know, Nick Muse has picked up some of that slack that they they've uh, missed uh, with, with Pollard's career ending, but they need a guy, like you said, to play that specific position and, and feel like Jaheim Bell could be a, a great fit there. But, um, you know, I think the, the whole Twitter thing could have been, you know, his his high school career is over with the torn ACL and and he may have just been looking for some attention and and a a way to create some news, so to speak on social media. But I I think right now, you know, if he was had to sign his letter of intent today, I think it would be with South Carolina, but we'll just have to wait and see, you know, what might develop between now and, and, you know, December, he does plan to enroll early and and has told South Carolina staff for some time now that he's going to make his decision sometime in December but, you know, at the same time, I think has also been telling them that, that South Carolina is where he plans to go. Yeah, I, I get the same vibe from my contacts that they're not worried about it. I just, you know, I always kind of ponder the what ifs of these things. I, I don't know how he's, you know, unless Oklahoma's going to add some things to their, I don't know how he'd fit in Oklahoma's offense, to be honest. Maybe they, maybe give him the ball from the line of scrimmage. I think he's a lot like Jalen Samuels, who played at NC State, like a tight end, but a guy that you can give it to from scrimmage and do a lot of different things with. Really like him as a player. I really think he's a, a guy that has a big upside, especially within South Carolina's offensive scheme and you know, sort of what they like to do currently uh, with all that. All right, so heading into this game, uh, Georgia, Tony, um, We've been watching the Gamecocks play football for a long time, and they play Georgia every year, and it seems like Georgia's back on the upswing. Uh, I say this because, 
you know, the last the last three years they've played two games that have been within two touchdowns against SEC East teams. They played for a national championship. You know, they're doing really well. Uh, and uh, they're the big dogs, no pun intended, in the division now. Uh, and it's really Georgia and, and nobody else. Um, so this is a, another opportunity, I think, this weekend for South Carolina. I hate using the word measuring stick because if you remember Brad Scott every year, before the Florida and Tennessee games, he'd say, this is a measuring stick. And <laughs> South Carolina got there and promptly get their butts beat. So I hate using measuring stick for those reasons, but it, it, it's a game where, you know, South Carolina could, you know, show a lot of people some things and, and prove some things and, and show progress, or it could be same old, same old um, in, in Athens. But, but, you know, to me, Georgia – We'll just have to see how it, if it lasts, you know, because I think Rick jump-started that program when he took over for Don and it did some similar things. There wasn't a playoff back then, so they didn't play for the national title. But um, so far, you know, I think Kirby Smart, you know, already has them as the dominant team in the East and, you know, right there with Alabama uh, in the SEC. Yeah, and I think, you know, Kirby Smart and his staff have done a good job of, of – taking what they inherited and building on it. Uh, I think the recruiting has been better under Smart than it was under Rick for the most part, even though, you know, Mark Rick obviously signed some very highly cl- uh, rated classes there. But but I, I think <clears throat> they've, they've done a better job uh, of landing elite talent. And, and I think this is a, a team that's loaded with NFL guys uh, on both sides of the ball. And you know, one of the biggest offensive lines in the country, they have a – a quarterback in Jake Fromm who manages their offense extremely well. They have, you know, a very talented running back group. You know, maybe don't have the down-the-field receivers that they, they typically have, uh, although, you know, part of, of their lack of downfield passing could just be they haven't had to do that a whole lot this year because of who they've played and, and the margin of victory in all those games except the Notre Dame game. So, you know, we'll find out, I think, a lot about Georgia uh, as well as a lot about South Carolina. Uh, it, it's – I don't think there's any question Georgia's the more talented team. They've got a better starting lineup and a, and a better bench than South Carolina. Uh, but I still think it's a it's a you know two coaching staffs who know each other very well, and and I, I think coaching will will play a role in this game. And I think if South Carolina can can you know come up with the right game plan and make the right adjustments over the course of the game, they have a chance to make this a closer game than a lot of people expect. But Clearly, you know, Ryan Holinsky is going to have to play better than he has on the road so far. You know, if he plays anything like he did against Missouri, it's not going to be a close football game. So I think he's going to have to play well, and the offensive line in front of him uh, is going to have to have a good game and protect him and give him the opportunity to to find open receivers and and make some things happen in the passing game. Yeah, that's the thing. And and getting to the, you know, Carolina's offense, you know, it's so – it's difficult, you know, to sit there and sort of understand. Everybody talks about identity, okay? And before the Kentucky game, South Carolina's identity on offense essentially was pass-happy group that's not very physical. That's kind of the bottom line. Um, offense at South Carolina under Brian McClendon, pass-happy, not very physical. They're not going to hit you in the mouth. Well, then the Kentucky game comes along, and they did play pretty physical, and they weren't that pass-happy. <laughs> You know, so, so I think that's kind of confusing. So, it, it's probably confusing a little bit to the Georgia defensive coaches as well. But um, I think, Tony, that what you're looking for in this ball game is balance. Uh, 
Um, we say that every game, but but I don't think the Gamecocks can go in there and throw it 59 times and win. Uh, I don't think they can go in there and throw it 15 times and win. You know, I, I think they have to keep Georgia sort of uh, off balance and, and, and play ball uh, in such a way that, you know, you kind of use Georgia's advantages against them. In other words, they rush upfield. You maybe, you know, throw a screen or a draw and go buy them. Um, I think it's important to get the ball in Brian Edwards and Shy Smith's hands, uh, especially Shy Smith because he's got some speed. Um, and I think that it's ultra important that Ryan Holinsky is accurate in this ball game and not like he was against Missouri. And I think a way he can be accurate, and this is kind of my final point here on this, uh, is that they have to protect. You can't have him on his back. Uh, you can't have guys running free and clear toward him and, and knocking him down, knocking him back. It's going to throw him off. Um, you know, and and that's that's a challenge with Jalen Nichols sitting out there. And, you know, Hutcherson's been pretty good this year, but not ideal, you know, uh, on the edge. And, you know, South Carolina's got to win their battles out there and, and keep Holinsky upright in this football game um, uh, in order, I think, to have a chance to move the ball well enough to win the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think balance is key. And I think South Carolina is probably going to have to use the pass to set up the run. I guess his Georgia's probably going to line up defensively and dare South Carolina to beat them with the passing game, uh, and and I think you know South Carolina's going to have going to have to show they can. They're going to have to loosen the defense up with their passing game, and and then be able to run the football. And and you know best case scenario, you get Georgia off balance defensively, take them out of what they want to do and what their game plan was, and then you know potentially hit them for some big plays, whether it's on the ground or through the air, but. Uh, you know, I, I, like like you said, I don't think they can be one-dimensional uh, in either direction and expect to win this game. They're not going to just you know line it up at Georgia and run it at them at will. And um, you know, they're going to they're going to need to be balanced to to have success. You know, in both of those categories. And then, you know, I, I think with Helensky, you know, they didn't use the RPOs a whole lot against Kentucky, and I think that's probably going to continue this week. I think putting too much on his shoulders on the road in, a, in a, a, an environment like Athens uh, would not be the right call. I think it's it's more up to Brian McClendon to make the right play calls, to to read what George is doing defensively and, and counter it and and not put it all on, on Ryan Helensky and, and uh, make him make those decisions and, and, and also – not create scenarios where Georgia can sucker him into to you know thinking he sees one thing and then showing him something else and and you know causing some turnovers or some game changing plays you know we saw in the last year's matchup between these two teams you know the the interception return right off the bat um, you know really hurt South Carolina and they can't afford to to give Georgia extra points and, and extra possessions with with turnovers in this one. Definitely, I mean that was a big key last year, and by the time you you looked up and you, you sat down and, you know, sat down and took a hunk of your sandwich or a drink of your drink, and it was 14 to nothing. I mean, and, and that was that was shocking. I thought the Gamecocks did a pretty good job, um, you know, rallying uh, and making it a one-touchdown game at the half, and then another – they had a bunch of drop passes and things like that. But this – it's a new year. I You know, I – the RPO thing is concerning because I, I do think that there are certain situations where you're playing a defense like George's. If you run stuff like that and you can execute it, uh, it'll work. Um, but I, I just don't – I'm with you, man. I You know, 
a true freshman on the road in Athens. It's not going to be the type of environment they had against Notre Dame, which was at night and raucous, and they have those lights that turn the whole stadium red. I don't even know why those are – I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, do you think those will stay legal in college football? I've never seen anything like it. But it's a new kickoff, and, you know, it's South Carolina, and, you know, they're not too terribly worried about the football game. So so it's probably not going to be crazy, but it's still going to be loud. Georgia's rolling right now as a football program, and it's going to be loud, and they're going to show up. You know, so we'll see kind of how that goes. So I'm kind of with you as far as, you know, make it as simple for Ryan Helensky as possible because you could do everything right and go 80 yards and and get inside the 10, and if you throw a pick or you fumble the ball or you get a sack, um, it's kind of all for nothing. So uh, we'll kind of see how that goes there. I think South Carolina's defense qu- almost quietly with the Missouri game because you think 34-14 ball game – you know, ah, they didn't do all that well. But really, they only gave up 20 points in that game. And then against uh, Kentucky, I thought they were really, really good. I know Sawyer Smith was not uh, ideal. He's, you know, Jake Fromm's obviously better than he is. But but I think, yes, Georgia has a great offensive line. Probably the one of the best in the country, if not the best. But I think if you're South Carolina, you have a pretty good defensive line. And that gives you an opportunity to win some battles. I mean, I, I I don't see this like last year, Tony, in this football game. I thought Georgia lined up and blew South Carolina off football almost from start to finish. Uh, and, and you look out there, you didn't have a DJ one. I mean, you had Danny Fennell, uh, who will play Saturday, but who you, know, you had Fennell out there as a starter. Uh, you had a lot of light players on the inside. You didn't have guys. Uh, that were able to set the edge. You had issues at linebacker. I mean, and, and then the secondary was not going to tackle in that football game at all. I think this is a different defense South Carolina is bringing to Athens. Uh, I think the fact that three of the four starters up front are from the state of Georgia, I mean, this game's got to mean something to them. Uh, it's a challenge against the Georgia offensive line, but I think South Carolina, unlike last year, has the guys to at least compete uh, on the line of scrimmage defensively. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And, and I think the the fact that they had their best defensive performance of the year by far last or last game, you know, two weeks ago against Kentucky, when running while running a four uh, three, and I think that's a defense you're going to see a lot of on Saturday. Uh, and and I think it's it's a, a scheme that matches up well with what Georgia wants to do offensively. Obviously, South Carolina's players still have to make plays and, you know, they have to hold up at the line of scrimmage and the linebackers have to tackle well and read plays correctly and and, and not a, allow a guy like Swift to, to make one cut and, and, and turn what should be a four or five yard run into a, a 50, 60 yard run. And you saw some of that in the in the game last year. So, um, you know, but I, I do think it will be a better prepared defense. I think it's a, a unit that will match up better player for player. Uh, than last year's did, you know. But the 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 difference, of course, is that Georgia's at home, and it's it's different being at home versus playing on the road in the SEC. So you know, South Carolina's players have to respond to that and and make some big plays. I think they're probably going to need to to force some turnovers for South Carolina to make this a fourth quarter game. Uh, they may even need to to score some some defensive points or have the defense set up the offense, uh, you know, deep in Georgia territory for for some points. So. Um, you know, it's going to be the kind of game where they have to get points any way they can get them. And, and whether that comes on defense, offense, or special teams, uh, it doesn't matter as long as they're, they're getting the points. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think that uh, points are going to be at a premium uh, on Saturday for the game. I mean, it can't be a situation like Bama, you know, where they have a chance to put points on the board and it just doesn't happen. I mean, in that particular football game, you know, the fake field – I mean, you get the fake field goal for the touchdown. Uh, you score before the half, and then you score the first drive of the second half. Tony, it's 31-24 Gamecocks in the third quarter. Um, and I don't know that Alabama doesn't still win the football game, but you're taking that baby to the fourth quarter, I mean, if, if you if you end up doing those things. So I, I'm with you there. They have to cash in on opportunities. Um, and that's hurt them in their losses. You know, North Carolina game, they had opportunities they left on the field. Alabama, they did. And Missouri, they certainly did. That can't happen against Georgia for the Gamecocks to have any chance. And, you know, last time Carolina went to Athens, um, they did have some missed opportunities. You think about how that game started uh, with the recovered onsides kick and then South Carolina goes down. And I think they ended up, you know, having some very unimaginative play calling and ended up kicking a field goal. And it just, um, you know, it just kind of went from there. Carolina played, I think, tough in that ball game, and you know, played Georgia well, and certainly had a chance. But you know, missed opportunities are just something that that can't happen uh, uh, in this game uh, if you're the Gamecocks. All right, so I got three keys to the game. See if you agree with me here. If those of you that uh, are on the BigSpur.com, be sure to catch Tony's five keys to victory. That comes out every Friday. It'll have his prediction in it. Uh, also, I'll, I'll be back on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast with final thoughts before the game and my prediction. It'll also be in an article on thebigspur.com, so please be sure to check that out. But but here are my keys. You know, stay balanced on offense, compete on the lines of scrimmage, and catch some breaks. Now, those sound very obvious because we've just spent the last 30 minutes talking about them. <laughs> but I think above all else, uh, those are the most important things. Um Positively and negatively, I think the Gamecocks are capable of doing that. I haven't seen them stay balanced on offense in very many games against big-time competition the last two years. Um, I've seen them not win the lines of scrimmage against big-time competition. Uh, and I've seen a lot of breaks go against the Gamecocks. So, so that's the negative end of all that. But I would think that, that that's a key for South Carolina to go in there and compete uh, against the Bulldogs at Athens. Yeah, I think all of those are, are good keys. Um, you know, I certainly have holding up at the line of scrimmage as one of my keys in my five keys to victory. Um, I, I think another one that I would add is and something else we've touched on earlier in the podcast, but they have to score touchdowns in the red zone. Um, you, you can't get down there and, and come away with field goals too often or, or they really can't ever afford to go down there and come away with nothing or to turn it over uh, in the red zone. So um, I think – when they get inside the 20, they have to score touchdowns as, as often as possible and, and you know, understand how important points are going to be in this game and to score it as absolutely as many as they can. I think South Carolina needs to be the more physical team. Um, you know, there's no question Georgia has speed and, and athleticism and uh, a lot of uh, very talented players, uh, but I think South Carolina has to be more physical and, and – uh, whether that is from a tackling standpoint or a blocking standpoint or from getting off blocks, whatever, however you want to uh, use the term, I think South Carolina needs to be more physical and, and look like the team that wants to win it more 
uh, and to find a way to make it a fourth quarter game. You know, if you make it a fourth quarter game, you never know what might happen. All of a sudden, the pressure shifts to Georgia. Their whole season could be on the line potentially in some ways if, if it is a fourth quarter game. And, and, and that's when you might be able to force them into some, some mistakes that they might not other otherwise make. So, um, you know, and, you know, starting strong, I think, is another one. Yeah, and we talked about that some earlier. We talked about how much it hurt them last year to get off to the disastrous start going on the road. You, you can't get behind and, and expect to come come from behind very often against a team like Georgia. So I think starting strong and building that early momentum and confidence could be big for South Carolina. Yeah, you start strong. I think that you don't you don't get that crowd a chance to get going. And I, I, I've seen it before where underdog comes in with an early kickoff, and you know you don't let the crowd go. You know, get going, and you start you start off with something good happening. And those are the types of games where you you know you turn the TV back on at two thirty, and you're like, good lord, this is going to the fourth quarter, and it's tied or, or whatever. And it tends to be an exciting type of deal. I've seen stuff like that happen when a a team is an underdog. I don't know that Carolina's going to lose by 24, 25. The, the, the spread is 24 and a half. Uh, I think that Carolina could very well cover that. Uh, in fact, I think they will. But um, winning the game, you know, is kind of a, a different story. And, I, and and your point about being more physical, I, I'm with you there. I, I think that, you know, you could not be as talented, but you can be more physical. And I thought Notre Dame – Part of the reason they were able to stay in that ball game, Tony, was I thought they were a pretty physical football team, you know, in that in that game against Georgia. I thought that they were definitely the more physical team in the first half. Um, Georgia kind of took it to them in the second. But I think at the end of the day, you, you look at it and you go, Notre Dame was, you know, very physical uh, in that game. And, you know, you're right in the sense, too, that, you know, Georgia getting it to the fourth quarter. Georgia has not been challenged you know, that often the last couple of years. And when they have been, uh, they've lost because it's been against, uh, you know, Alabama or uh, in the Sugar Bowl against Texas. Um, I guess they did win the Oklahoma game in the Rose Bowl. But, uh, you know, it's not been – Georgia just hadn't played very many games where they've gone right down to the wire. So I I think that could be an advantage for South Carolina as well because the Gamecocks, you know, certainly have. All right, that's all the time we have today. Uh, on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Be sure to check out Tony's Five Keys to Victory on thebigspur.com on Friday. Also, the final word on the game on Friday. There will be another little tiny uh, tiny miniature episode uh, of the podcast uh, that you guys can listen to, preview and prediction from yours truly, plus an article to go with it on the Big Spur. For Tony Morell, it's J.C. Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Have a great week, everybody.